It's good to have Pastor Mike Schutz here with us today. Um, he, I, I didn't realize he was a professor so long at Eastern Nazarene College for 23 years. And he, then he was at um, Avergrove Church of the Nazarene for about 100. And, um, and um, so now I grew up with his um, wife, and I used to call her Little Esther Irby. I apologize, but I still call her Esther Irby. I apo- but that's all I, you know, that's what I knew her as. But um, good to have Mike here today. Pray for him. Um, I'm sure he's going to do a fantastic job. And it was so nice to not have to worry about preaching today and just relax and enjoy myself and be goofy. And, and uh, although going away with three grandchildren is not exactly a restful vacation. I'm going to be honest, you know. So, Pastor Mike. Well, I didn't know in the first 15 seconds this morning I'm going to disagree with your pastor, but I'll say a couple of things. In May, I retired from my pastorate after 19 years at Avangrove and 23 years at Eastern Nazarene College. And I'll tell you, I miss preaching. I would give anything to be able to worry about the sermon every week because you get... And, and, you know, and there's, there's another thing that the, I don't know about you, but I don't have any grandkids. I would do anything to go on a vacation to the beach with my grandkids. I tell you, all right, that's the last time I'm going to disagree with your pastor this morning. Um, as he said, my name is Mike Schutz. I'm, uh, I live in New York area. Before that, we were living in southern Chester County, pastoring at Avangrove, which is between Oxford and Kennett Square, down there where as soon as you show up, there's one thing you experience. If you've never been there before, let me tell you, you don't need to actually experience this to know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been around mushroom houses? Well, God bless you, because... Um, I had never been around mushroom houses when we moved. I was raised in Baltimore, but then we lived a lot of years in the Boston area. And then when we moved down here um, to Pennsylvania, the the fragrance, (laughs) the aroma. So when we would talk about we're going to go out into a hectic, chaotic world and be the aroma of Christ, we meant that literally. We were going to change some fragrances when we would go out into the world. Well, this morning I am uh, going to uh, ask you to do some things. You're out in this beautiful environment, this beautiful place, and already this morning we have sensed the presence of the Lord in the cool breeze and in the singing. I also want to point out to you that we experienced the presence of the Lord in a very different way. And I hope you caught it, but if you didn't, it's kind of the entire sermon this morning. I hoped at some point over the last 10 minutes or so, your your eyes happened to drift over there. And you saw those good folks playing Frisbee golf. Now, here's the thing. It's okay. Any of these responses is okay, all right? Did it cross your mind, I hope those people shut up so I can hear the sermon? Did it cross your mind oh my goodness, the Lord wants me to pray for those folks. You see, there's a different way of 
experience the freedom that we have in Christ. One of the ways that we need to do that is through the way we live. The, the Apostle Paul said it is for freedom that we have been set free in Christ. Therefore, do not allow yourself to be placed once again into a spirit of bondage. So there's that. But there's also a freedom that comes in having our minds changed. God wants to teach us how to think like God. And it is that thinking that we're talking about this morning because we're going to focus on how Jesus discipled his disciples. And we're going to focus on the work that God still has to do to help us think differently. Paul talked about this whole idea that you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We got some minds that need to be renewed in our world today. And we're gonna, so we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. It's a lengthy passage of Scripture, so I'm not going to read it to you because I know you're all biblical scholars, and so I, don't, I just have to tell you where it is, and you'll be able to do that. If you're watching online, take your Bibles right now while you're sitting on the couch and, and, and look at the passage, but you can read it this afternoon. We're beginning in the middle of the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, and we're going to the middle of the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. There are a series of incidents that happen here, and we don't need to get into all of them, but we're going to focus on several that are of primary importance to this business Jesus had of teaching his disciples how to think like God, how to have the mind of the Lord in every circumstance, to have the eyes of God, to have the heart of God, to have the mind of God. And so the story begins in that very familiar passage of Scripture that we all know because it's such a key in the Gospels, and it's reported other places in the Gospel. But in the Gospel of Mark, it goes something like this. So, gang, who do those folks out there say I am? Have you ever asked that question? When I train uh, young pastors, one of the things that I say to them is when you first show up at a church, what you need to do is go around in the neighborhood and ask people about that church. Find out what they think about it, because that's how you'll know the footprint in the community. When I showed up at Avongrove, people knew us for our school. We had a school, and that's all they knew. And that was interesting to me. Okay, that's good. Then I went into the schools and talked to the nurses because nurses know everything in a school. And I said, tell me about what you need. And I said, are there any churches meeting that need? And you realize that it's not the job of a church to do what every other church is doing. It's a job of the church to do what nobody else is doing. And so we went around and said, okay, so we're going to partner with these nurses. And they're telling us we got an awful lot of kids in our community, particularly who don't speak the language that I primarily speak, and they're coming to school without the clothing that is appropriate for the season. And they're often coming to school, and the only, this was before schools started giving breakfast, they were just given lunches, and they're coming to school hungry. And if you've ever worked with teenagers, you know you ain't getting nothing accomplished if they're hungry. And so we started providing food and we started doing these kind of things that the nurses were telling us were needed. And so when Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to go and think about what they're saying about me. You heard what they said. They said, okay, well, some of them say you're John the Baptist. Now, what they meant by that is not that they think you're exactly John the Baptist. They, they're saying they think you're like John the Baptist. They think you're, you're kind of like John the Baptist. Now, 
and some of them think you're a prophet. Well, by the point that Jesus came around, there hadn't been a real recognized prophet among those people for hundreds of years. So what they were saying is they think that you're kind of like what they heard prophets were like. Okay? That was a huge positive statement. You're not like everybody else. Now, you remember, because you're Bible scholars, you remember that it was often said that Jesus preached as one with authority. They were saying, you're kind of like what we've imagined the prophets were. Well, who do you say I am? Who do you guys say I am? And I imagine at this point, well, I kind of picture the disciples as kind of being like college freshmen. It helps me because I taught college freshmen for 23 years. And so I, I kind of know what's happening here is they're all kind of, their heads go down and then they're looking around and they're hoping somebody else answers and they're hoping they don't get called on. And then there's somebody wondering in the back of the room, is this going to be on the test? And, you know, and so they're kind of, you know, they're kind of all worried, but then they remember I did, sorry about that. And they remembered, oh, that's right, Peter's in class. <laughs> Peter can't keep his mouth shut for anything. Because, you know, you have friends who their mouth starts talking five minutes before their brain starts working. You know, you know those people. Some of you have been pastored by those kind of people. And not saying anybody in particular. And well... They relaxed because they knew Peter would say something. And Peter does, doesn't he? Peter says, you're the Messiah. The son of the living God. And Jesus said, you know, Peter, you're not smart enough to figure this out on your own. God has blessed you and given you this. Praise the Lord. Well, here it comes. Jesus now goes into some hard teaching and he tells them what's going to happen to him. The son of man must suffer and brought in front of the authorities and will be crucified and killed. And that's where Peter stopped thinking again. There's more to that, but Peter stopped thinking at that point and pulls Jesus aside and says, wait a minute, Jesus. Heaven forbid that this happened to you. In fact, he says, Jesus, you got this all wrong. You don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. Now, I, I was a pastor for 19 years, and before that, I was a college professor. And when I was a college professor, it was typically sophomores who took me aside and told me I didn't know what I was talking about. And as a, college, as a, as a pastor, it was everybody who took me aside and said I didn't know what I was talking about. And so Peter took him aside. Now, I have to tell you, at this moment in this story, I, I really would like to identify with somebody else in this story, but I identify with Peter. I really do. Because Peter had had it drilled into his head that when the Messiah comes, here's what's going to happen. The Messiah will have power, 
and the Messiah will be able to build a real kingdom, will establish Israel once again to be as great as they used to be, or at least as great as in the minds of the people they used to be, because it was 400 years since it happened. But all these good things are going to happen. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Don't blame Peter here for this. He had it drilled into his head in Sunday school, or Saturday school. He had it drilled into his head that here's what's going to happen when the Messiah comes. And he was just schooling Jesus because Jesus eh, didn't remember. He was, Jesus was getting old and he was like me. He didn't remember things anymore. And, and so here's the way this worked. The disciples are over here. Peter's here talking to Jesus. Jesus, remember this was a private conversation. Jesus steps between Peter and the rest of the disciples and turns his back on Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, for you are thinking in the ways of the world instead of the ways of our God. Now, this is one of those passages of scripture where you can interpret it in a variety of ways. I really don't think what was happening here is Jesus was calling Peter Satan. That's not what's going on here. What he's saying is, Peter, you're only seeing half of the story. You have got to start seeing things through God's eyes and not your own eyes. You have got to start thinking differently, Peter. So that's, that's what's happening here. That's the Mark chapter 8 part of the story. Okay? Got it? Here's what So now we go forward into the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And in the ninth chapter... Jesus once again reiterates, repeats what he said before. This is what's going to happen to the Son of Man. And he goes about the suffering that is necessary. The word in the Greek here means necessary. And in some ways, it almost is essential that this happens. This has to happen. Now, for those of you who are teachers, you understand the power of repetition. For those of us who are preachers, we know the power of repetition. It, it has been said that long are the days where you could bring, you know, in your sermons, have three points and expect people to remember the points. Because right now in our society, we have the attention span of a gnat. You have already drifted in and out of my story numerous times, and I don't blame you. It's just how we are. And so what helps us to understand the important things? Repetition. So in a sermon, I don't say three points. I say one point three times. That's the way you help people remember. Because the goal of all this is for you to go home and talk about it. Okay, that's the goal. I want you to go home and think about this and talk about this. I have to tell you a story. This happened to me. This is, this is extra. You didn't pay for this. this is, I'm throwing this in for free. This is something happened to my wife and, and me last Sunday. We were in church, and I'll refer to being at the particular service later in the sermon. But we were at church, and the, the preacher, it was a dialogical sermon. What that means is it was two people talking to each other, asking each other questions. That's the way they did it. And it was really cool, and it was really interesting. And my wife and I were struggling with what's more important right now in our life after church, talking about the sermon or feeding our face. 
Feeding our face won. It really did. And so we said, we'll talk about the sermon while we go feed our face. And, and so we went to a particular place. It's a, it, I didn't know what it, it was. It was a sandwich place. And I had only been there on like a Tuesday. And so my wife and I went into this place. And it turns out that we were walking into this place on Sunday afternoon around 1 o'clock. Now, there are some of you who that's nap time. But for many of us, Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock in the fall is football games. And so we walked into what I didn't realize, but what really is a sports bar. So we walked into a sports bar, and on half the televisions, they had the Eagles game, and on the other half, they had the Steelers game. And so these are people yelling at each other as well as yelling at the television. And we're walking in, and there, of course, so here it is. My wife and me, two folks who don't drink, sitting in a sports bar with people screaming at each other. And we realized we were screaming at each other because that's the only way we could hear each other. But we were talking about the sermon. I don't think that was the way the pastor expected conversations about the sermon to go. So here's the deal. If you think about this sermon, if you talk about the sermon, I don't care where you do it. I don't care at what volume you do it. Just do it. That was extra. Okay, so here's the point now. So Jesus is repeating what's going to happen to the Son of Man, what's going to happen to him. And the the disciples now are wise, and Peter smartened up and didn't say anything. They just kept quiet at this point. So now we go to the next thing, okay? They're traveling to Capernaum. And when they get there, Jesus looks at them and says, hey, gang, what were you talking about on the road? Because you were arguing about something and I didn't catch it. Guaranteed he caught it. But what were you, you know, you ever had God say that to you? What? Hey, Mike, a while back there, when you lost your attention and you had the attention span of a gnat and you were supposed to be praying, what were you thinking about? Not angrily, just, just wondering. And, and the gospel writer says they were thinking about who would be greatest. Now, if Jesus, well, let me ask this question. How many of you have ever parented teenagers? You ever parented teenagers? You ever had somebody, maybe your own child, roll their eyes at you? Please understand that rolling their eyes is not sinful. Jesus rolled his eyes right here at this point. Right here in this moment, he rolled his eyes and said, I've been with you dudes for three years. You still don't get it. And I can, ju- I can understand that because I was at my church for 19 years and some of the people still didn't get it. And, and the deal was this. Jesus looked at him, rolled his eyes and says, all right, You're concerned about who's going to be the greatest? Look over there. You see a child? Now, for Jesus to point out a child, now this is not the passage of Scripture where Jesus says you have to become like a child. Okay, this is not that passage. He had already done this. This is kind of a, he assumed they remembered that. And he's saying, I'm going to look around the space and find the person who has the least power the least authority, 
And I'm going to remind you, your job is to bring those people to me. The people who have the least power, the least authority, you are to come alongside the people in your culture, your society, your neighborhood who have the least power, who cannot do anything for you, who cannot provide you with money or power or success. They can't do anything for you. And you are to bring them to me. So here's the point. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples how to think like kingdom people. But they're kind of halfway there. In one moment, they're thinking like God. They're praying for those folks, praying for his big off. And in the next moment, they're thinking about how they can pay the bills. There ain't nothing wrong with thinking about how to pray, pay the bills. But there's the human way of thinking about how to pay the bills, which is my way typically. And then there's the way of the kingdom way of thinking about how to pay the bills, which is my wife's way of thinking about it. <laughs> now, now, understand, she's the one who turns to me and says, okay, let's remember, God's got this. Let's remember, yeah, the stack of bills is higher than the stack of resources. But we can't see all the resources that are available to us. And it's my wife who reminds me of that. She is far deeper in the spirit than I am. And as Jesus is trying to teach his disciples how to think in heavenly ways, he recognizes this is a long journey. And it requires a lot of stops and starts. Now, when I was in seminary, John, which was, well, let's just say we were only imagining automobiles at that point when I was in seminary. Um, you know, I'm way younger than you. And <laughs> I meant way older. Younger just came out. I don't know how that happened. Um, so when I was in seminary, uh, a professor was talking about this particular dynamic in the Christian life. And saying, the struggle here is, and when I use the illustration, you'll get how long ago this was. He said, half the time we want to be like Mother Teresa, but the other half the time we want to be like Madonna. <laughs> now that shows you how long ago that was, right? That was a long time ago. But as I sat there in a class at seminary and thought about it, I realized, because at first I thought that was a really kind of sexist way of looking at it, but then I realized I could come up with a lot of male counterparts for Madonna. I couldn't come up with a single male counterpart for Mother <laughs> Teresa. I couldn't think of one. And so the dynamic here is we try to think like God. We really do. But we need some helps. We need, we, we need some helps. And so I'm going to give you a couple of those today, a couple helps. And th this is nothing you haven't heard before, but maybe it's exactly at the point where you'll really think, oh, I need to do that now. I'm really at a place where I've got to start seeing things from God's perspective. First, pay very, very close attention to the teachings of Jesus. 
Pay very close to it. Dig into the words that Jesus said to the disciples. And let me just begin. Begin in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Begin at the Sermon on the Mount and take it seriously. We have often in the church said, oh, Jesus didn't really mean that. He said it, but he didn't really mean that. I will tell you, Jesus didn't waste words. You know, he didn't. He meant this. He, he meant what he said when he said, blessed are. Stop thinking about things from a worldly perspective. Stop thinking about things from who's going to help me. How, how, how can I get more power? How can I get more success? How can I feel better about myself? How can I be happier? Pay attention to the teachings of Jesus. Second, when in doubt, give the benefit of the doubt. In other words, when you come across somebody who is hurting, and as a result of that hurting, they are bitter or angry or frustrated or nasty, stop and listen to their story and stop putting them in a box of judgment. Stop blaming them for the fact that they've been hurt and therefore are hurting others. One great saint said, if you knew all, you would love all. If you knew their story. As a pastor, I would get frustrated when there's some folks that I would seldom see at church. And then I realized I looked around and instead I began to realize there are people who are in church this morning who it's amazing to me they were able to get out of the house. They're suffering either through physical or emotional battles that they're dealing with. I couldn't do what they do. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Help them them to know that you see that God is still working in their lives. And here's the third thing. Find yourself some folks who are further along in the business of learning to see life through the eyes of God and walk with them. Find folks who are further along in the journey of faith than you are. And I'm not talking about chronological years. I've spent time with folks who are further along chronologically, but in terms of spiritually, they're still drinking milk instead of eating meat. I've been with folks, and, you know, one of the things that I got to do while I was a professor at Eastern Nazarene College was I got to travel to churches to counsel and help pastors who were dealing with difficult situations in their church. And regularly, I would find that one of the things that happens is the people who are the least spiritually mature in the church were the folks who were setting the agenda in the church. And I have to tell you, that is not something that happens only in struggling churches. At at the church where I was, we were, great things were happening in the spirit. I mean, God was really doing something. And then I made the mistake. I don't know what I was thinking, but I said, hey, why don't we build a kitchen in a place where we needed a new kitchen? We needed a kitchen over there in one of our, we have several buildings because we had a school like you guys do. And we needed a kitchen over there. And I don't know what I was thinking, but... Do you, did you know 
that there are multiple materials that they make kitchen countertops out of? And did you know that people get really exercised about which material ought to be used? Did you know that there are people who would be willing to end relationships over what kind of countertop was put in the kitchen? No, I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy. I've been around the world a lot. I, I, you know, I've traveled all over the world. I, I had no idea that it would matter so greatly to people what kind of countertop they put in. And I found myself, I, I, there was one particular time where I, I did this. I said, okay, enough is enough. And we had a meeting of the folks who were responsible for making this decision. And the folks had kind of gotten into two separate camps. Folks who wanted this kind of material and the folks who wanted this kind of material. And so I came to the meeting. But before I went to the meeting, I went to my office and changed. I changed and I put in one of those black and white striped referee shirts. <laughs> and I wore it to the meeting. And I said, here's the deal, guys. We play by the rules or the person in this room who neither cares about what decision is made or, or understands any of this will make the decision about what kind of countertop goes in. Nobody wanted that because they knew I didn't know what I was doing. And they knew if I made the decision, it would be wrong. Um, in the church, there is something that is called the narcissism of small differences. It means 95% of stuff we can agree on but we'll fight over that 5%. No wonder people look at us and think, and they call themselves followers of Jesus? We need to find people in our lives who are further along in the spirit and walk with them. Find them, sit under them, and listen to their stories. Listen to... I, when I, when I was uh, uh, just getting along, we had just gotten married. We'd been married a few years, and we had our first child. It was a daughter, and she was beautiful, and I had fear in my eyes because I had no idea how to father a daughter. I had one brother, didn't know anything about girls. I'd proven that by the fact I couldn't get dates when I was a teenager. I knew nothing about women. Amazing God. Yeah, I told you my wife followed the Lord because that's the only reason she'd end up with me is that with direct calling of God in her life. Okay, you're, this man needs help. I'm calling you to do this. And so I went to other men in the church who were fathering daughters. Now, I knew that not every man in the church who had a daughter I should listen to because I'd seen the way they treated their daughter and I'd seen the way they treated their wife. But there were people who I respected the way they treated their daughter. There was one situation. We were, we attended this church. It was a large church. And my daughter was in kindergarten at the time. And this particular Sunday, my daughter came downstairs we lived within walking distance of the church. My daughter came downstairs and I looked at her and then I turned to my wife and she gave me the universal signal for don't you dare say a word. You ever gotten that, men? You ever gotten that? Don't you dare say a word. My daughter, who was in kindergarten, was wearing lipstick. 
And in my mind, this is how thinking the way of the world was that I was. I'm thinking, in order for my daughter to get to the children's Sunday school class, she has to pass the senior adult Sunday school class. And what will those old saints of the church think about this kindergartner wearing lipstick? And my wife then turned to me once again and said, don't you dare say a word. I got this. Don't you know, Pastor, that I watched from a distance those old folks in that senior adult Sunday school class told my daughter how beautiful she looked that day and how wonderful and the great, and they were further along in their spiritual life than I was, praise the Lord. You see, sometimes we're, we half see the kingdom of God. Sometimes we see it some of the time, but not others of the time. Sometimes we, in one moment, want to pray for those folks, and in the next moment, we want them just to be quiet. And so the Bible gives us a way of finding those people. And so I want to read that to you this morning. It comes from the New Testament epistle of James. Okay, so in James which if you're not familiar with the Epistle of James, it's an interesting book because what it does is it balances out those folks who in the Christian faith say, it doesn't matter how you live as long as you believe. It, he balances that out and said, no, 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 don't tell me you have faith. If, you don't, if your life doesn't look like you have faith, you don't have faith. If, you, if you're living a life that is sinful, don't tell me you have faith because your actions will prove your faith. So in the third chapter of the epistle of James, which I just, it, it's so blessed. Beginning in verse 13, it says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 17 because we all like lists. And here's the list. Here's the list of how you know this is somebody that you need to listen to because they're going to show you how to begin thinking like God thinks. Here it is, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven. Got that? He's actually saying it. You don't have to think about it. He's saying it. Here's what you want to find. The wisdom that comes from God is, first of all, pure. No mixed motives. Then peace-loving. Considerate. Submissive. Full of mercy and good fruit. Impartial and sincere. Find somebody like that. And meet together with them. Spend time with them. Help them understand. And then verse 18, he uses a word that will remind you of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. when we fall into the way of the world, we begin to look for people who can help us financially, help us with success, help us to get our own way, help us to have power. And Jesus said, no, don't look that way. You're looking the way the world looks. And then James tells us, here's how you'll know people 
who can lead you in the way of the Spirit. One last story and I'm done. We were in this church service last Sunday, and these parents brought their baby to the church and brought their baby forward to the pastor. And they did something in that moment I had never seen before. The pastor is charging the family, charging the congregation with what they were supposed to do to help this child as his parents are bringing the child forward. Remember this, what we were reading about what Jesus said? And then the entire congregation joined in singing a lullaby for this baby. I'd never seen that before. And watching this baby, one-year-old, the child melted into the mother's shoulder, visibly calmed down, visibly relaxed, visibly knew everything was going to be all right. You know what? I believe that's how God wants us to be. I believe that God wants us to begin to understand that life in the Spirit means it's going to be okay. We can relax. We can trust God. And like Jesus, suffering will come. But don't look at suffering the way the world looks at suffering. Look at it the way our Father in Heaven looks at it. Would you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, I have no idea why you wanted me to bring these passages forward this morning. I, I imagine in, in a crowd this size, there's got to be someone who is struggling with just difficulties in, in comprehending what's going on in their life. I imagine there's somebody here who is just struggling with how to think about their neighbor differently. Maybe how to think about their spouse differently. How to think about their children differently. Maybe there's somebody here who is struggling with how to look at the person that they disagree with and see them the way God sees them. And I am absolutely confident for all of us, we've still got more ways to go in thinking about the world and life and the kingdom the way you do. Bring this passages, these passages of Scripture to our mind several times over this next week that we can remember God's not finished with us yet. In Jesus' name, amen.